What is going on, guys? I hope you guys are doing fantastic. I hope you guys are having yourselves an awesome day. And I hope that I can make it just a little bit better with this podcast episode, where today I have the ab absolute pleasure of interviewing Terry Tucker. Now, who is Terry Tucker, you might be asking? Terry Tucker is an international podcast guest on the topics of motivation, self-development, mental health. He's been a college basketball player, marketing executive, hospital administrator, SWAT team hostage negotiator, high school basketball coach, business owner, motivational speaker, and most recently, a cancer warrior. He is the author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Terry has also been featured in Authority, Global Thrive, and Human Capital Leadership magazines. Now, the reason that, you know, I think Terry was really you know, felt drawn to writing this book about sustainable excellence was all the things that this man has done in his life. Like, he is just a plethora of knowledge. And I really feel that now he feels the need to really share that, man. And his legacy is one that will survive many, many years, many generations, because what he's doing is just fantastic. And even his battle with cancer, you know, the man smiles through it all. And he talks about the attitude that he has and his approach to it, all that stuff that is applicable to all of us. So when we feel down, man, you know, there's no excuses. Terry's really a role model as to how we should conduct ourselves in these turbulent times and these crappy situations. And, you know, his warrior mentality is one that I look up to. And I think that we could all take and learn a little bit from. So without any further ado, let's jump into our conversation with the author of Sustainable Excellence, Terry Tucker. Ladies and gentlemen, let's jump on in. Looking to get started in PE? Check out the MaskinHealthSolutions.com ebook available now titled How to Get a Bigger Penis. All right, so all you guys looking to make gains? male enhancement penis enlargement penis enhancement realm this book is for you and if you're a beginner this is just the book you may have been looking for so be sure to check it out at maskinhealthsolutions.com the link is in the description below again the book is titled how to make your penis bigger and it will offer you all the knowledge and know-how that you need to get started on your pe journey all right without any further ado let's jump on in what is going on guys and gals if you're listening welcome to another episode here at the mask and health solutions podcast where today i am joined by none other than terry tucker published author swat negotiator for basketball player at one point college level and a guy who's gone through a whole lot of difficulties in his life which we're going to get into today terry how are you today sir i'm great cj thanks for having me on i'm looking forward to talking with you Hey, man, I mean, I read, like I was talking off air, man, I, I read your story. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, resilience. I'm pretty sure you had to develop a little bit about that. So I kind of want to get started from your college days and then go into, you know, your entrepreneurial, um, I guess, endeavors and just kind of go from there and just kind of get the background as to like, where'd you start building the components that kind of led to you developing the life that you have and obviously the skills that you have now? Yeah, I, I have been very lucky. I, I am the oldest of three boys. You can't see this or you can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And Jeez. I played basketball in college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. I kind of joke, I, I, and this is true, I have a brother who's six foot seven who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame, another brother who's six foot six who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the wow. NBA. And then my dad was six, five. So I sort of joked that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayers chance you could see anything, <laughs> you know, that, that was going on. So fortunately, you know, I graduated from college. I was the first person to graduate from college in my family, moved home to find a job, found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain in their marketing department. 
but unfortunately I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Um, and, and, you know, I've had this, I've been battling this for 10 years now, this rare form of melanoma. And, and I really think that uh, I was also in law enforcement. Sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place, but, you know, was in law enforcement. As you mentioned, I was a hostage negotiator. I was also an undercover. And, and I know you're going to find this funny. I was an undercover narcotics investigator. Well, uh, how could you do that? You're six foot eight. Yeah, how I was could you say, possibly you, do You kind of stick out a little bit. Like, hey, you man, do. But, guy, you know, what, I always tell, <laughs> what I always tell people about that industry, and it really is, you know, illicit drugs is an industry, yeah. is that what motivates it is greed. And as long as you have money, you're going to find somebody, you know, to buy drugs from. And, and that really, I never had to change my appearance. I never grew a beard or, you know, my hair long or anything. And I was still able to do that job. So I uh, had a lot of fun with that. And then I guess I, to round it out, I've been married for 28 years to the same woman. We have one child, a daughter who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy wow. and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Oh, what? That's, I mean, is she going to Mars anytime soon or? <laughs> all she'll tell me, because it's all top secret stuff. So all say, she'll tell yeah. me is I fly military satellites around the heavens. That's that's what I do. And that's all I can tell you. So. Wow. I mean, we should get like a camera installed into like a car and just <laughs> see if we can see anything. Absolutely. We're all curious. <laughs> oh, man. So many. But that's awesome. And it kind of goes to show that that's probably where your resilience kind of started to happen. And now going back to, you know, what led you to writing your book and stuff, when did the hard times kind of start, you know, for you? You know, when, when I, I was lucky, I played basketball in college, but in high school, I had three knee surgeries. Ooh. And I remember when I went back playing after those knee surgeries, my mind was kind of putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my brain, you know, things like, hey, you're probably a step slower and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. And I remember, wait a minute. I'm still playing at an elite level and college coaches are still reaching out to me about the possibility of playing. So I, I learned early on, you know, probably when I was yeah. 14, 15, maybe 16, that it, you needed to flip that narrative. You needed to put something positive. You know, if you think about it, we have like 60 to 70,000 thoughts to pass through our brain every day, most of which we don't even pay attention to. No. But, but your mind can hold one thought at a time. You know, why would you want to make that a negative thought? So I learned early on to try to that I needed to flip that switch and change that narrative to something positive because I didn't want to keep dealing with all that negative garbage. But it took a long time for me to be able to switch, you know, because I, I kept having even through college, I, I was, you know, I uh, probably not good enough and stuff like that. I'm like, wait a minute, I got to play against Michael Jordan. I got to play, you know, yeah, I, I'm still pretty decent at this, this yeah. little gig here we call basketball. Yeah, I would say so. Well, it's kind of like, you know, man, D1, like, <laughs> that's insane. And the thing is, too, it's interesting that you say that about how you were able to flip that switch. Because I know men in their 60s, 70s, you know, and I'm like, maybe it comes from self-discovery or having to do something. Because that's the one thing that I feel like a lot of men are lacking right now is that lack of challenges. Because when you challenge yourself, it's almost like, okay, I'm getting my ass kicked. Or I'm thinking these negative thoughts what can I do to change the way that I look at things? And the way I, uh, when I change the way I look at things, the things I look at change, right? And it's right. kind of like, and you realize it always kind of goes back to the mindset. So how important do you think it was for, for you to have this mindset when you get, went into being a negotiator, you know, dealing with somebody that's like, hey, I'm on the brink of just losing it all. Like how important was it for you to stay grounded and to stay, con you know, like focused on the right thoughts, like the right things? Yeah, that, it, I think it was imperative. So, you know, obviously basketball growing up, big, big fan of Indiana University. And there was a, a coach by the name of Bobby Knight. There. Oh, Bobby Knight. Yeah, you remember Bobby? Okay. <laughs> well, I played in high school against a guy by the name of Isaiah Thomas. I don't know. Oh, if you're yeah, well, I know Isaiah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I Isaiah goes to all the old school basketball. Tape. Yeah. You can talk to me about all that. <laughs> okay. So Isaiah goes to Indiana, plays for a night, wins a national championship, goes on to the Pistons, wins a couple yeah. NBA championships. And so I used to see Isaiah, you know, in the summers when we would we would both come home and I'm like, you know, what's it like playing for night? And he said, you know, night has this saying that and, and it's a pretty simple saying mental is to physical as four is to one. 
So here's this great coach teaching elite athletes how to use their bodies to be great basketball players. But what he was really saying is your mind, your mindset is four times more important Hmm. than your body is. And, And I've come to understand that because, you know, if you think about it, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So when people get into a painful situation, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, whatever it is, a lot of people, you know, they turn to bad habits, they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to behavior that isn't good for them. And, you know, I certainly had the opportunity as a police officer, you know, after shift, it's like, hey, we're all going out to the bar, why don't you go? And I was like, no, because as you see, you know, what grounded me? My family. My family grounded me to be able to deal with high stress situations, to be, you know, to deal with somebody who's barricaded themselves with a gun and wants to kill themselves or kill a hostage. So it was always my family. You know, I was like, no, I want to go home and be with my wife and my daughter because that's what grounded me. So I think it's important that we all find at some point in our life something that, that, you know, that resonates in our soul, I guess, for lack of a better term, that, that grounds us so that we don't make those bad decisions. No, 100%. And that's kind of the one thing that I find as well. It's like, maybe, and that's one thing I always kind of come back to, and I'm seeing this like in younger and younger men, it's almost like that lack of something that anchors you, you know, and I'm always finding that a lot of guys just kind of video games, porn, and they're kind of, it's almost like a loss of direction that I'm finding. But I'm also seeing there's a movement now for guys talking about traditional, you know, mask and values. And it's kind of funny how it went full circle. We went like full liberal and all this. And all of a sudden, guys are just like, no, man, we need something to like come back to that old school sense of self. You know, I know in olden times, it's like, well, you went to, you know, you're a warrior. You did something, you provided for your family. But it's almost like at the same time, if you're going out providing for your family, taking care, that will always bring you back. (laughs) You know, it it always will. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I read a book a couple of years ago. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Legacy. It's by a man by the name of James Kerr. If you haven't read it, I would definitely recommend it. I think you would enjoy it. And it's a book about the New Zealand national rugby team, who by all intents and purposes are probably the most successful sports franchise in any sport in any country of all times. The All Blacks, yeah. I mean, I I took four pages of notes when I read it. I I mean, it it was amazing. But, But what, you know, what based on what you were saying, you know, here's this great team. And you would think that when they're bringing a new player on, and I don't know anything about rugby, so I'm not even gonna try to go. But when they're trying to bring on a new player, you would think that, you're going to bring on somebody who's technically competent, who's good at rugby. And they do to a point, but the two things that they look at when they're bringing somebody on is one character. And it's just what you were saying, what kind of person are you? You know, what are your values? How do you handle losing, you know, and things like that. And two humility, you know, and, and wow. I'm old enough to know that I've been in a bunch of, you know, I'm going for a job interview and you always get this feeling in the pit of your stomach. It's like, Oh my God, I got to have all the answers. And, and what, and, and the, the team is called the all blacks because yeah. their uniforms are all black. All blacks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what they're saying is no, you don't have to have all the answers. You individually don't us collectively will figure it out. We'll wow. come together as a team and figure it out. So if you think about it, here's one of the greatest sports teams of all time. What do they hire for character and humility? And I think that goes to what you were just saying. You know, what are men looking for today? What kind of person are you? What kind of character do you have? And are you humble? You know, can you be like, yeah, I I don't know the answer to that. So let's go figure it out. Yeah. But it's interesting because you kind of need that. And and I mean, I was, uh, there's another book too. I believe it was Mindset by Carol Dweck, where she talked about the importance of being humble enough to take the criticism. Yeah. And then from there, perfect your craft. By continuing to take more criticism, which a lot of people can't do. And she was bringing up different examples of why certain people would, I guess, surpass the geniuses because the geniuses didn't want to put the work in or take the criticism. Yeah. And it kind of goes to the same. Now you look at the All Blacks, the most successful rugby team. I mean, when they came to Canada, they whooped our ass. <laughs> it was like 87. They whooped everybody's ass. <laughs> yeah, they just destroyed everybody. And I'm like, these guys are unreal, right? And you watch them play, but it's almost like it's scary to see one collective unit just almost work as one like yeah and now what you're telling me about how they go about recruiting it seems unconventional but it makes perfect sense 
doesn't it? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, what more? Do you want a bunch of alcoholics on your team? You know, and you see that all the time in sports. You know, like people that are just like, oh, you know, I'm I'm really good, but I hate what I do, and I'm going to go drink and do drugs, right. and then they self destruct. <laughs> right, right, and that, and I think that goes back to character. You know, we're all going to lose from time to time in our lives. You know, I mean, but you're not a loser, even if you lose on the scoreboard, you're not a loser until you start blaming somebody else or looking yeah. for somebody else, you know, to put put all this issue. No, it's yours. You you, you gotta own it, you, you know, and that's part of character. What kind of a person are you? It's okay to lose, but you're not a loser unless you start blaming other people. A hundred percent. And that's kind of going back to, I guess, uh, your book, which we got to talk about, Sustainable Excellence going back to the subject of resilience like we were talking about before how important do you think it is to be resilient in these situations where it's like yeah we got our butts kicked how do we bounce back you know how does resilience really play into that i i, I think it's it's huge i i, I remember a story uh mike Szyzewski, the the coach k you know the, coach the, oh yeah he just retired this year i think yeah exactly he when he first started at duke i forget who they were playing but they got they got annihilated you know, and, and I remember, you know, the coaches went out afterwards. He, he, this is him telling the story. Coaches went out afterwards and they're like, wow, you know, yeah, well, we, we all need a drink. You know, here's <laughs> here. Here's the, you know, forgetting that loss. And Shizeski's point was, no, here's to never forgetting that loss. Here's to always remembering, you know, that we got our butts kicked and we've got to move forward. And, and, and I try to do this every day of my life. I, I, and I do it pretty successfully. I don't do it every day, but I really try. And, and I recommend it to other people. Do one thing that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that is potentially embarrassing. Because if you do those small things every day, when the big things, like you just said, you know, when the big things in life hit us, and they hit all of us, we lose somebody who's close to us, you know, we yeah. lose our job, we get a terminal illness diagnosis, whatever, when those big things hit, you'll be so much more resilient to be able to handle them as opposed to those people who are like, no, I just like comfort. Things are good right now. The status quo, I like it. Leave it alone. Don't mess with it. So yeah. I, I guess I would recommend that to your audience. Go out and do something. I mean, I hate going to the dentist. The other day, I picked up the phone, made my six-month appointment. I mean, it was a little uncomfortable, but that's what I mean. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But find something every day that makes you nervous, that, you know, keeps you on edge, because that's really how resilience is born. It's not born out of comfort. You know, if it was comfortable, everybody would be resilient. But, you know, it's born out of trying to do something that's uncomfortable with you, you know, that makes you nervous. Oh, I'm scared about that. Do it, especially for young people. I always, I always recommend this for young people. If there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. And that's kind of the scary thing. I mean, for myself, even like, I, you know, you look back at your life sometimes with regret. Now I look at it more from like, you know, I'm going to use these as reference points. And mm -hmm. it's like, that's where I screwed up. That's where I should have done this. And when it comes to resilience, you're right. Because I mean, David Goggins talks about the same concept about how you got to callous your mind daily. Right. And it's like, it's, it could be as simple as going to the gym. And I always talk about, cause I, I love working out. That's my thing, you know, mm -hmm. and progressive overload, you know, whether it's in the realm of I'm developing my mind in some way, like for me, meditation is something that I started to get into. And it, it's kind of like, at first, man, I couldn't even sit down and I'm just like, oh, dude, I can't do this. Like <laughs> I would be the worst monk ever. Cause I would just fall asleep. But the thing is, it's find different ways to discomfort your norm, you know, and when you do that, you will find that you have to adapt. And humans, we are creatures of adaptability. And now back to your point, it's like, if I want to develop resiliency as its own thing, I have to do this. Yeah. And it, it's, it seems kind of scary at first, and then you start doing it. And then it's almost like you fall in love with the process. You know? We do. And, and, you know, but you think about it, we're also creatures of habit. When we yes. get into that habit, we like it, it's safe, it's comfortable, you know, we don't have to think about it, and it's good, 
but you're never going to grow if you're just a creature of habit, you know? Oh. And, and if you think about the, you, you and I, I mean, we're creatures of habit. We probably do the same thing every morning. We get up at the same time, you know, we, we, we brush our teeth, we have breakfast, we get dressed, we go to work, you know, and yeah. we do it the same way. And we drive the same way to work all the time. <laughs> I remember when I was a cop, you know, I always tried to drive a different way home. You know, I, I didn't want, I didn't want to be predict. I didn't want somebody following me to be honest with you, but you know, think about that in, in terms of just do something different. Like you say, do something that's like, uh, Oh, I've never done that before. That's a little, I don't, I don't and we'll see how that goes. You know, that's how you develop resiliency. No, a hundred percent. And I, I, there's no way to escape that. And I think that's yeah. one of the biggest revelations in my life so far. It's like, you can't get to where you want to get without a little bit of friction, without a little bit of traction. And I'm like, as soon as I realized that, I wish I had discovered that when I was like 16, 15, maybe, you know, because obviously my life trajectory would have been different. Right. And I think for many of us, myself included, for most of my life, it's like you experience a little bit of friction. And you're like, you know what? I'd rather give up than actually go forward. And I think that's holding a lot of us back, which is why, you know, I'm having blast talking to you because you're basically saying, like, you got to power through things sometimes. You know, if you do want to win, if you want to get to that next level, sometimes we have to experience that. And from that, we learn and we develop the skills that we need to find success. We do. And but but that's you think about it. I, I've run across so many people who think that failure is is something that's bad. It's not. It's not. Failure is 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 the road that's paved to success. If you, nobody who's ever been successful never failed. I mean, no. most people failed a lot along the way. But, you know, there was an old quote from uh, Nelson Mandela, the former president of South Africa, who said, I never lose. I, I yeah, well, if I get this right, I never lose. I either learn or I win. Yes. So, you know, if you're going to be successful, great. But if you're not, what are you learning? You know, what exactly. do you figure, what do you learn about yourself? What are you learning about? You know, I tried to start a business. It wasn't successful. Why? Why wasn't it? What can you learn from that? And maybe start another business that will be successful based on what you've learned. So being a lifelong learner, I think, is another important yes. point that we all need to be in our lives. Well, the constant learner, I think it was Plato who uh, he, they told him that he was the smartest man in his town. And Plato was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to go find the smartest guy. And then he came to the realization that the guy who thought it was the smartest was the most pompous and, you know, was just done learning. And he said, I am the dumbest man in this town. But he didn't really mean it that I'm the dumbest so right. much as like, I'm, I'm just a guy that's constantly learning. Yeah. And it's that never ending learning kind of mindset that you have to have. And it's funny because like somebody, I think, was breaking down different champions in MMA. And they were talking about George St. Pierre. They're like, this guy's a freak. Like he's learning gymnastics, you know, and he's learning wrestling now. And he's learning kickboxing now. Like the guy never stopped learning. Yeah. And he's always humble enough to take the criticism, take the advice. And with that, it's like, you know what? And it may have seemed like he was failing because in gymnastics, he didn't look all that great. However, this man was miles ahead of everybody, you know, because he was willing to, you know, take that risk and learn. And then he was one of the greatest champions of all time. <laughs> yeah. And see, I'm, I'm old enough that I remember when, uh, a lot of NFL teams brought in ballerinas and were teaching, you know, dance to their, you know, their linemen and their, and, and, you know, to help with footwork and to help mm -hmm. with flexibility and stuff like that. And everybody was like, Oh, you know, you know, it's ballerina, you know, it's ballet. That's, that's for sissies. It's like, no, this is the NFL. If these guys are doing it, we can all do it. So, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's, what's that, what is that thing that's out there that, you know, I, I think Goggins talks about this. If you want to be great, you're going to be misunderstood all yes. the time. People aren't going to get what you're doing. And I, I remember a, a story about Kobe Bryant, you know, played for the Lakers. Yeah. When he went up for a shot one time and somebody hit him on the elbow and he missed the shot. The ref didn't call the foul. The Lakers lost the game. Well, after the pregame or the, after the game talk, Brian, you know, put on his practice uniform, grabbed a manager, went into a practice gym and shot thousands of shots with the manager hitting him on the, yeah, the, the, elbow. Know, the elbow every single time. And it's like, you know, this may never happen again, but if it does, I'm going to be ready for it. Yes. And, and that's the difference between ordinary and mediocre and success. That's yes. the difference right there. What are you willing to do? How much time are you willing to put in? Yeah. Now, the thing is, too. When it comes to winning in anything, it's like 
you have to put in the time. Yeah. And I, I, it's, it's kind of mind blowing to me that we see in society, like so many people are just kind of give me the pill, give me this, give me that. But I'm like, when it comes to developing yourself, there's no escape from it. Like you really got to put the time in and you kind of got to go through the mud, you know, and yeah. not in a self like disrespecting way or anything, but you have to put yourself through it. And it, whether it's Kobe Bryant or any one of these champions that you see, it's like, they're challenging themselves every single day to get to that next level. Yet we see people all the time complaining about their lives who don't want to do anything about it. And that to me is like, well, you're kind of just still stuck at stage one because you don't want to take that first step to stage two. And it might be rough. It might be tumultuous, but I'm like, when you actually cross through it, you'll probably be like, Hey, you know what? I've developed the skills that are going to help me to get to stage three a little bit easier, you know? And, and I'm just seeing it all around me all the time. And going back to your point of like, we need to challenge ourselves. We need to prepare for those emergency situations. Because in your life too, where, you know, you were hit with cancer. If you didn't have the resilience that you had, I think developed by that time, it probably could have gone sour. It could have been worse. But I think, you know, your mindset, your attitude, all that stuff plays into it. It really does. And, and I, I'm reminded of a story. I, and, and, and hang with me on this, because it's going to sound a little weird to start with. But I, I read, a, I read a, uh, an article about a professor at Johns Hopkins University in the 1950s who did an experiment with rats. And it, it was a really simple experiment. He took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the rats could tread water. Yeah. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as they were getting ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed the rats, pulled them out let them rest for a while, dried them off. And then he put them back, same rats in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Wow. Now think about that. First time, 15 minutes. That's all I can do. I'm going to die. Not just that I can't make it. I'm going to die. Second time, 60 hours, which said to me two things. Number one, the importance of hope. In our lives, yeah. we have to believe that whatever we're doing is going to lead us to something better. May not be tomorrow, may not be next year, may, may be 10 years from now, but we have to believe what we're doing is leading us somewhere better. And secondly, just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could handle. My, my wife works with a, and I think Goggins talks about this too. My, works with, my wife works with a young man who's a former Navy SEAL. And on my off weeks of treatment, he calls me just to check up and see how I'm doing. And we talk about all kinds of things. And sometimes we talk about what the SEALs call their 40% rule, which mm -hmm. basically says, if, if you're done, if you're at the end of your rope, you don't think you can go on, you you're only down. at 40% of your maximum, and you still have 60% left to give to yourself. So I always look at people and be like, you know what, if you have this much grit, just this much, you're going to be so much further along than those people you were talking about were like, I'm not even going to start because I don't want to deal with an unknown outcome. You got this much grit and you're willing to take a chance. My God, you'll be so much further down the road than everybody else. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of goes back to that whole, like, have you prepared your mind for it? And are you ready to take on the challenge, take on the task? But the thing is, sometimes when it comes to actually saying like, okay, do I have that extra 60%, it's almost like it goes back to what we started talking about. And for me, that goes back to the whole anchoring aspect of it. Because when you have that, it's almost like there, it almost clears up your mind from the clutter. I kind of found for yeah. myself, because it's almost like I got one goal, whether I have hope or not, you know, it's like I'm pushing forward. And when you start pushing forward, it's almost like, okay, in the movement, and Andrew Huberman was talking about this. And when you start moving, you automatically give yourself hope. Yeah. And it's interesting because all the things that you just said just tie in perfectly to the fact that, you know, you have to be hopeful, but you also have to be, you know, have that clarity in mind yeah. and have that anchoring and all that stuff kind of just almost like it pushes you up and propels you forward, whether you want to or not. And it's like, I guess you combine that with positivity and that might be the formula for, you know, for succeeding in these situations. But one thing I did want to talk about was the four truths in your sustainable excellence book. What are they? <laughs> sure. So the, the four truths are what I call sort of the bedrock of my soul. And, and they're, they're not my truths. You know, I don't think you can own a truth, but they're, they're things that I've come to understand. I, the first one, I think I came to understand a little bit earlier in life. And the first one is this, you need to control your mind 
or your mind is going to control you. And yeah. I think the way that resonates is the story that we talked about earlier about when I was, you know, went back playing basketball after my knee surgeries and what my mind was putting into my brain. So you need to control that mind. Otherwise, your mind is going to control you because your mind knows your fears. It knows your vulnerabilities yeah. and it will use those against you if you don't use, you know, if you don't say, uh-uh, no, that's not, that's not who I am. That was who I was 10 years ago. This is who I am today. So you can't bring up all this garbage and say, that's who you are. That's not who I am. This is who I am now. So yeah. that's the first one. The second one uh, is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make us a stronger and more determined individual. And the way that resonates with me is this, we're all going to experience pain in our lives. And, you know, for me, it doesn't have to, it's, it's not cancer pain or, or even any kind of an illness. You could break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, you know, not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve or have a fender bender on the way to, you know, church or, or whatever yeah. it ends up being <laughs> for you. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, Suffering's optional. Suffering's what you do with that pain. Do you use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want others to feel sorry for you? The way I look at pain now, especially with cancer for 10 years, is I don't run from pain. I use it. I take that pain. I flip it inside. I burn it as fuel. I use it as energy. And I know people are, oh, yeah, you're tough. You know, you were a swat. Nigga. I am the biggest wimp in the world. So trust me, if I can do this, Anybody can do it. So that's the second one. The third one is, I guess, more of a legacy truth. I think it's important for all of us to sort of look at the end game. And the third one is this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And I remember when I had my leg amputated in 2020, and I found out I had tumors in my lungs. And so I went with my wife to the mortuary, to the cemetery, and to the church, and I planned my funeral and because I come on these podcasts and I give talks on motivation and the need to keep moving forward, some people reached out and they're like, well, don't you think that's kind of defeatist planning your funeral? And, you know, I kind of looked at them like, well, the last time I checked, I think we're all going to die. <laughs> I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. Yeah. But, you know, everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. So that's number three. And then number four, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It's as long as you don't quit you can never be defeated. And the way that resonates with me is this. Someday my pain is going to end. You know, it may end through surgery, may end through some type of a new medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, then pain will always be a part of my life. So those are, those are the four truths. I have them on a post-it note. I look at them multiple times every day. So they constantly get reinforced in my brain. And and I love them. I mean, they're a good place to build a, a good life off of, I think. I think so. Because, I mean, I think anybody applies what you just said there. I, I think that's a recipe for success, <laughs> you know, and from people that are going through deep, dark times. And I mean, the last part really stuck out with me where it's like, you know, if you don't give up, you can't be defeated. And I, I, I really believe that, you know, even for myself, you know, we all go through times where it's like, you know what, you just want to throw in the towel. You, yeah. you just really do. You're just like, you know, what? I'm, I'm just done. I, I, feel, I feel completely tired. I'm exhausted, whatever the case may be. And you're just like, I just want to throw in the towel and just give up. But it's almost like at the same time, you know what you're giving up or what that it really entails. And the way that you say it, it makes perfect sense. It's like, you know what, you're succumbing to defeat, but you chose that. And that kind of scares me into not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like almost like I am in full control of this. And that's the one thing that I do always believe that we have the choice to basically set the trajectories of our lives. Like our lives don't happen to us to a certain degree. I mean, sure, things may happen, but at the same time, it's like, to your point, it's like, I can wallow here in self-pity or I can do something positive with it. You're here on this podcast. You wrote a book. I think that, you know what? Sure, maybe a negative situation, but there's been a lot of positive that's come from this unfortunate, you know, event or not even event, but, you know, something that you have to live with. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and a lot of it is how we look at things, you know, do, do you like, let's say, you know, going to work, do you have to go to work or do you get to go to work? You know, do I have to go to treatment or do I get to go to treatment? It's what handle you want to grab. Do you want to grab the handle of, of despair and defeat 
Or do you want to grab the handle of success and confidence? It's your choice. And you know what? Life isn't going to say, oh, you know, Terry's having a bad day. We're going to help him out. Life doesn't (laughs) work that way. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, life sucks. All right. You know what? We're going to beat on Terry today because he's having a bad day. But this is going to make Terry stronger. This is going to make Terry more resilient. But people don't see it that way. It's like, no, no, no. I I don't want any more. No, you can handle so much more than you think you can. Well, and I mean... I, I honestly think that, you know, somebody going through a situation like yourself is that's a testament to the fact that, hey, not only do I live by these concepts, you can do it, too, because yeah. you just said, like, hey, man, you know, I, I don't like the pain. I don't like the suffering. However, if I'm doing it. I'm living it. There's no other reason why you can. And to me, I mean, it, it's it's almost like holding up a mirror to myself at times. And I'm like, well, you know, there's certain things that I don't want to do. And obviously, look at your situation, what you're going through and you're doing this daily, you know, hats off to you. And I think for many of us, it's almost one of those things where it's like, okay, you know what? You got no excuses, man. There's always somebody that's going through it worse than you, yeah. right? And there, there is, but I, and I guess let me back up for a minute. I, I don't want to sit here and, and have you or your audience think that, you know, I never have bad days. I do. I, I mean, there are days I cry. There are days I feel sorry for myself. There are days I get down. But when I, what I've come to understand or to realize is that when we do that, we're looking inward. We're looking at, you know, oh, woe is me. You know, look how yeah. bad my life is. How terrible. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what I found is a great way to overcome that is to, instead of looking inside, look externally, look outside, find somebody. Like you said, there's always somebody worse off than you. Go find that person and help them. Go yeah. find that person and just start a, a, a conversation with them because now your focus is not here your focus is outside yourself. And if you do that, all of a sudden you're not depressed anymore. You're not down anymore. You're using whatever issues you've got to help another human being. And and I've always believed that our purpose in life, regardless of what we do for a living or whatever that is, is to serve. You know, I have a very strong faith, whether it's to serve God, people who don't, to serve your fellow man. You know, how can you make a difference, a positive difference in somebody else's life? Well, I mean, the power of giving is one of those things that, I, I, there's actually a book that I was reading. It's called The Power of Giving. Okay. And um, it was interesting because one of the concepts that was brought up in the book is that you find yourself by giving to others. And I'm like, wow, that's massive because it's almost like that identity, that ego kind of falls away. And it's almost like, I guess it's God that just kind of blesses us with the fact that, hey, you know what? You're helping out my people. You know, I'm going to bless you. And it's almost like it always comes full circle and there's no escape to it. And whether people, you know, believe in God or not, but I'm like, there's universal things in place on this planet that I think are inescapable, you know, and and that's one of those things where I've kind of realized that for myself, you know, you give of yourself and it's almost like you get good things back and you, and it's, I'm not saying go do things because you're like, all right, you know, I'm expecting, you know, good things to come back to me, (laughs) but it just raises your vibration. It just helps you stay more positive. It just helps you to, and I think it's good for your health as well. Because yeah. it's almost like, you know what, I may be going through a little bit of pain. However, I was able to brighten this guy's day. Yeah. Makes yeah. my day a whole lot better. <laughs> it, it really does. And and that's, you know, but we're, we're such a society of, you know, it's all about me. You know, I, I mean, and, and I always tell people, hey, I got news for it. You're unique, but you're not special. You know, you have yeah. unique gifts and talents, but you're really not that special. So take your unique gifts and talents and use them to help another human being. And see what that does for your attitude, your mood, you know, your physical health, everything brightens when you make a difference in somebody else's life. Yeah. And I mean, even if it's just, you know, like making your kids smile or anything like those small things are kind of like the nuances of life is what really makes this life special, in my opinion, because it's like, you know, I'm not necessarily thinking about, you know, dying tomorrow, but you, know, right. you think about the things that you're probably going to miss the most out of this life. And it's the things that are probably the smallest, most simplest things. It's not the extravagant and lavish car. It's not the material things like all that stuff's going to fall away, but it's almost just the experiences and the people that you share that with. And now it's almost, we went back to talking about, you know, anchoring yourself with the people that you love. And it's like, man, that's one of those inescapable truths of life that at the end of the day, when it's your time, that's the moments or those are things that you're going to cherish the most. <laughs> it is. And, and and I think you use the word that really subs up, sums up everything. And that's love. You know, yeah. I, I mean, you, you, you can't take your power, your influence, your money, your car, your house with you at the end, but you can take the love in your heart with you. 
You know, you can yeah. take that. And, 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 and love is one of those things that the more you give it, the more you get back. It's probably the only thing in the world that, that, that is that way. But I mean, it, it's such a powerful word. I, I remember when I was a young kid, John Wooden, who was the coach of UCLA. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was like a disciple. I really was of Wooden. <laughs> and I remember, you know, I was a little kid. I was probably, you know, 13, 14 years old. And I remember hearing an interview with Wooden and I was literally, you know, I had a pen and paper and I'm writing notes and, <laughs> and, the, and the commentator asked him, you know, you've been very successful on the basketball court. You know, what do you think is the most important thing that you want your players to learn? And I'm like, all right, come on, coach, give me some good X's and O's. You know, I'm, I'm ready to write stuff down. And he said, the most important thing in anything we do is love. And I was like, no, 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 coach, come on, give me some good X's and O's. You know, and, and I, I was too immature to understand that at that point in time. But here's this great coach saying, you know, whether it's loving yourself, loving what you do for a living, loving your fellow man, loving your God, whatever it is, love should be at the center of everything. And I know from a guy's point of view, yeah, we don't talk about love, you know, love yeah. is something we deal with. No, it should be something we deal with because it's it's universal in whatever you get your, whatever you put your hands in, love should be part of that. Oh, 100%. Because if you don't, I mean, on the flip side of that, it's like, I see it too, where it's like people don't love what they do on a daily basis. And it's, it just leads to a sad, twisted, negative life. And that, I mean, honestly, that scares the crap out of me because, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to be one of those guys. I, I, I see it and it's like, I don't want that. And it's almost like when you, even the situations like that, you know, you got to do on a daily basis, do it with love, you know, and it's, it's tougher than it. It's very easy to say. But to do it on a daily basis, going to a job that you may not particularly love, but you do it with love, you know, it just makes it so much better. And it kind of raises your vibration, which in turn, the people around you kind of just vibe better and just makes the atmosphere so much better. Yeah. And, and you know, it it's, goes back to, you know, my beliefs anyways, that it's one of those universal laws that we can't escape. I think God by design made it so it's like, okay, if they're all vibing, they all feel good. Guess what? They're all going to feel good. Yeah. But there's one rotten apple there is going to start to stink it up. And next thing you know, everybody's going to be rotten and the environment's going to change and you'll feel that shift. Right. Right. I, I know when my when our daughter was at the Air Force Academy, there was a man there who was a janitor. You know, I mean, he's re replenishing the toilet papers. He's cleaning the stalls. He's, you know, sweeping the floors. He's doing all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, all these kids are like, you know, but the Air Force Academy, I'm a big deal. I'm a hotshot. It turns out this janitor was a Medal of Honor winner. What? And, you know, and nobody, you know, here's a guy who, you know, won the pinnacle award in the military, you know, for, for selfless sacrifice. And yet he's humble enough to be a janitor. He's humble enough to take care of kids wow. and clean up after them and do that kind of stuff. And all these kids that when they found out after, you know, it's like, wow, I had no idea. It's like, no, but did you ever take the time to ask him? Did you do you even yeah. know his name? You know, I, I mean, I remember hearing a story about a professor in college who, who gave an exam and, and the, it was three question exam. And he's like, OK, you know, first question had something to do with the course. The second question had something to do with the course. The third question was this. What's the name of the woman that cleans up in here after class? And almost nobody got that because, you know, you think you're too good to talk to the janitor or the homeless person or whatever. And, you know, I get questions sometimes from young people today, you know, I want to be in law enforcement. What, what do you recommend? And I always tell them, put down your devices, go out on the street and talk to the homeless guy and go up to the penthouse and talk to that guy. Because if you can talk to those people and not talk to them, not talk at them, talk to them to understand where they're coming from, you'll be a good cop. I would imagine, because that would have to play in. I mean, I think... I think in order for you to be a good cop, and I mean, this is my perspective, you have to know how to communicate with everybody and pick up on the really small things as to like, you know, these small physical cues or, you know, what they're saying, their, their language, and almost like decipher that, especially in your case, where you're dealing with, you know, situations that are a little bit more hairy, it's almost like you cannot, you cannot neglect that, like you have to know exactly what they're trying to communicate. And it's not just words. And I feel like, you're right going back to the devices and i see that where it's like it's just weird socially how younger generations are kind of interacting you know where you see them all and i mean i get it we had newspapers magazines and that back in the day 
but it wasn't like we brought our magazines out when we were going to go hang out at McDonald's per se, you know, it's like, <laughs> hey man, look at this, look at this beautiful, like Lamborghini on Dewpoint registry or something. <laughs> you weren't bringing that around. Right. And it's kind of odd because it seems like we need to reintroduce like just normal social activity and behavior. <laughs> we do. We do. We need, we need to connect with each other more. You know, and 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 this is not connecting. You know, being on a device. I, you know, our 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 daughter got my hype, fortunately or unfortunately, and actually went to the Air Force Academy to play basketball. Nice. And I remember when she made her decision, there were other schools that were in on her, some Division two schools, some Division three schools. And I said, okay, you need to now call these coaches and let them know you've made your decision. And and I, and I'll never forget. It. She's like, I'll just send them a text. I'm like, no, you won't. I said, this has been a relationship, you know, it, whether it's, you know, parent, child, husband, wife, boss, subordinate, whatever it is, this is a relationship. You owe these people a phone call. And she didn't know how to do it. You know, wow. she, she could like, I, I can send them a text, no problem. But I don't know how to, we actually had a role play, you know, for, hey, here, here's what's going to happen. And, you know, here's what they're going to say. And some coaches from lesser schools, you know, basketball wise and academic wise, like got mad at it. I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to one of the best schools academically and you're playing division one basketball. Why are you mad at me? And, and I said to her afterwards, I said, what'd you learn from that? And she, you know, she's a kid, you know, I probably yeah. would have said the same thing. She's like, I don't know. What, what do you think I should have learned? And I said, maybe they didn't have your best interest in mind. Maybe it was all about what you could do for them or their program. Not, you know, how it's a mutual thing, you know, yeah. it's not about one side wins or the other side wins. It's about how we all win. And, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. So just an interesting, you know, we've got to communicate better. We've got to connect with each other in order to do that. 100%. And that's the thing. It's like connecting doesn't mean adding me on Facebook or adding right. me on Instagram or following following me. You know, it's it's not that because that's where that human interaction is lost. But if we really want to connect, make the society better, it's almost we got to go back old school and just be like, hey, man, how's it going? Yeah, you know, it's simple as that, but it, it's something very difficult. Like I'm blessed in that sense too, because I'm in a leadership role at work, and I just go around talking to everybody. You know, so it's like I, I, I'll never lose that, and I like that because it's still teaching me every single day. It's like, hey man, what's wrong, dude? You seem kind of, you seem kind of pissed off, bro. And it's like, oh well, you know, this, that, and the other, and it just helps you to learn and diffuse certain situations that could escalate to be worse. But if you're there and you're kind of able able to nip it in the bud. I think as a police officer or any job that you're doing, it's almost like if I can avoid it, it's probably better for everybody. <laughs> well, and, and that's, you know, that's one thing I learned as a negotiator. And I think one thing that you just, you demonstrated there was the importance of listening to understand as opposed to listening to reply. You know, we're great at, you know, hurry up, CJ, say what you're going to say, because I want to get my two cents in versus all right, CJ, I heard what you're saying. I may agree with you. I may not agree with you, but help me understand that. Where are you coming from with that? That's listening to understand. We do that. We can accomplish anything. But, yeah. you know, we, you know, hurry up. We're screaming at each other. We're not going to get anything done. No. Well, it's almost like that's just butting heads. And you see yeah. that too all the time where it's like, you know what, if, if we had just, if one of us had sat back and just listened to the other, because I've been in that situation too, where it's like, I'm trying to get my point across. And the other person's right. like, well, me too. And I'm like, you're not listening. You're not listening either. And it's almost like we're going nowhere fast. Yeah. And it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> and it only gets worse from there. And luckily enough, I've had the situation where I'm all right, you know, tell me, give me your perspective then, you know? And that kind of goes back to humility as well, where it's like, okay, you got to be humble enough to be like, maybe you're wrong. Right. And, and you know what? I've been wrong on multiple occasions now where I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just shut up and listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I heard one time that the best way to end an argument is with one sentence. And the sentence is this, you might be right. Because I'm not saying you are right, you know, but it also gives you somewhere to go other than, you know, I, I don't have an off ramp here, you know, I, so I got to keep arguing here. I just gave you the off ramp. You know, you might be right. Oh, he said I might be right. You may yeah. be right. You may not be right. But that one sentence can diffuse an argument. You might be right. I'm not you, saying you are. <laughs> <laughs> I like you leave it with the possibility of it might be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man, I'm going to have to use that one of my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I'll never lose again. You never will. I mean, she'll love you forever, you know? <laughs> it's like the one key component to always winning. <laughs> but Terry, <laughs> so Terry, tell us where we can find you and tell us about your book a little bit more because I feel like we could have talked more about the book, man. We definitely got you next time. <laughs> sure. I, I, the, the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. You can get it anywhere. You can get a book online, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks, however you, you want to do that. Uh, I have a blog called Motivational Check. Uh, it's motivationalcheck.com. Every day I put up a thought for the day. With that thought comes a question about maybe how you can incorporate that thought into your life or something for you to think about. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is usually a video I find online or you know a story I find online that maybe is a little bit longer. Uh, you can, all the podcasts I've been on, I've got recommendations for books and videos to watch and, and read and things like that. So motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. You can also leave me a message there if you'd like. Awesome. Terry, I had an absolute blast talking today. And I, I really want to, <laughs> I definitely want to have you on again in the future. Um, and any closing words that you want to leave us with? Um, can I leave you with a story? It's a little long, but can, let's do it. So I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. You know, my mom and dad used to let me stay up late and watch, you know, Gunsmoke and Bonanza. And my favorite was Wild Wild West. 1993, <laughs> the movie Tombstone came out. No, you you probably have seen it. Most people have it. It was a huge blockbuster. Starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters for the movie. Now, Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card yeah. sharp. And Wyatt Earp, his entire adult life, had been some form of a lawman. And somehow these two men from entirely di divergent backgrounds come together and form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc is dying of tuberculosis at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died in that sanitarium. He's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this almost final scene in the movie, the two men are talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was younger, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life and get on with living yours. CJ, you and I probably know people, people who are listening to us that are sitting out there like, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When that occurs, I'll have a successful life. When this arises, I'll have a significant life. What I'd like to leave you with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Bam, mic drop. <laughs> that was a spectacular way to end it. And you're totally right, because life is meant to be lived. You can't live it from the sidelines and you can't live it sitting down. Right. I love that. Terry, I had an absolute blast. And again, man, until the next episode, and I'll definitely have to have you on again so we can talk some more. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking with you as well. All right, everyone. Take care until the next episode.